Lord, we ask that you would be with us, that you would be present with us, and that you would heal us. Protect those that are sick, Lord. Bring them to a path of healing. Lord, help us know how to live and act in these strange and difficult times. Lord, give those who are sick hope. Give them purpose and meaning to look for a new day here on this earth as we await the next. Lord, I pray for all of those, especially within our congregation, that are sick right now. Please, Lord, we need your healing hand. In Jesus' name, amen. What kingdom is worth fighting for? What hill is worth standing on, no matter what the cost may be? What kingdom is worth giving all of your energy and hope and your life towards? What kingdom have you placed your hope upon? Question one of the New City Catechism, which is one that we use with our students and and young people here, is this. What is our only hope in life and death? Max, Ezra, you guys know the answer. Our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but we belong to God. We are not our own, but we belong to God. And if we are not our own, if we believe that we really are God's, that we are citizens of his kingdom, and that means we're above that, in that kingdom above all other kingdoms, that should impact how we live right here and right now. The Apostle Peter, who we're going to be reading from today, knew a thing or two about fighting for a kingdom. He was imprisoned numerous times for preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He was beaten by the Sadducees. And in the end, he was martyred. He was killed. He was, he was hung on a cross like Christ. But remember earlier on in Peter's life, it was also Peter who denied Christ three times. It was Peter, a grown man, who denied Christ to even a servant girl. So what happened to Peter? What made him so brave and bold to fight for the kingdom and do the right thing no matter what? What changed? In one word, it was a motivation. And that motivation was this, a blessing to be received. That blessing is what we're going to discuss this morning together. So grab your Bibles and open to 1 Peter. We're going to be studying from chapter 3 this morning. 1 Peter, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 18, chapter 3. Finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing. Bless, he says. Since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. This passage opens with a sense of urgency. Peter says, finally, or maybe more literally, now the end of the matter. 
Later, in, chapters, in chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, he speaks with really similar words, with similar intensity and urgency, saying, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, he says. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. These words bring us to our first point this morning. Bless because it's your calling. Bless because it's your calling. You see, Peter believed it was an urgent matter for the church to live up to this calling, which means to live in a specific God-designed way. That's what calling means. Remember, we are not our own. The purpose of this calling is summarized with a verb of both word and action, to bless Look at the beginning of verse 9. It says, We're not to pay back evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead, on the contrary, giving a blessing. Or more literally, maybe, to bless repeatedly over and over again. However, to bless doesn't mean we just speak with words, although that is certainly in mind here. We should bless one another with good words. But... Look at the verbs that he uses to describe this. Look at the words. He's talking about actions. We're to be like-minded, sympathetic, loving one another, being compassionate and humble. We're to show hospitality and to use our God-given gifts to serve others. Peter's describing for us what it means to bless and fulfill our calling. To do this, to bless your brothers and sisters in Christ requires relational and physical activity, action between God's people. And it's really important to recognize this, especially in our time and culture. The secular culture has been trying to convince us and deconstruct us for a long, long time. They want us to believe that faith is purely an intellectual and personal matter. That faith is some sort of mental assent to an idea that faith is just some individualistic thing you do at your own home, at your own leisure, to make yourself feel good. Yes, we should, and we must believe in Christ with our mind. But we show that we really do believe through our actions, with our physical bodies. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. In other words, love the Lord with all you have, with all of you. And that includes our bodies. Some of us have bodies that are weak or prone to sickness. Some of us have bodies that just don't work the way we wish they did. But in your weakness, in that bodily affliction, that bodily difficulty and trial, God's strength and power shows up in unique and powerful ways. So use the body, whatever you have, as best you can. 
This simple truth that our faith is shown through action, which we use our bodies to do, through our presence, through our loving compassion, through the use of our hands and feet, is maybe a little more important than you may realize. Consider our times. People are worried. People are desperate and hurting. People are lonely and afraid. Many of us here can relate to those feelings as I list them off, especially as we consider what this last year has been like. Every time I've gone to the store the last few weeks, somebody's wanted to talk. That's unusual. I was not expecting that. But people want to understand what's going on in the world. They want to feel connection. They want to feel love and purpose. But instead of despairing over these things that we feel and we know and we see around us, I want you to consider it and think about it from a different prerogative. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. How then, Paul says, can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? without someone that goes and tells them? How can we tell a hurting and broken world in desperate need about Christ? How can we show hospitality and love and compassion and put our God-given gifts to work if we never use our bodies to physically do those things? Do we really think, as the secular elites wish us to think, that we can be the body of Christ without gathering together? Can the physical body of Christ work through a TV or computer screen? Friends, these are difficult times. And I don't say these things to delegitimize the dangers and the extraordinary challenges in our world. They're real. We know that. I'm not telling you to throw discretion or caution to the wind. But I do want to challenge this. I want to challenge your thought pattern about what faith and calling means. We are not our own. We belong to God. In a few weeks, we'll be having an annual celebration service here at Harvest. Larry will be sharing about Harvest's vision for 2021, where we believe God is going to be bringing us this next year. And embracing and practicing hospitality And fellowship is right where we're headed as a a team and a church. How will you fulfill your calling to bless the body of Christ this year? We're going to have to use our creative thought and work together as a church to do that well. But we don't just do these things because someone stands up here and says so, or because God just says so. Look at the end of verse 9. On the contrary, Peter says, give a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter goes on to explain what he means by an inheritance in the next few verses when he quotes Psalm 34. Look, here he says, for the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil And do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. 
Boy, we need that right now. But the face of the Lord, he says, is against those who do what is evil. I want to love life, and I do. I want to see good days, and I have. And I want to see more of both. The anticipation for God's blessing upon us when we bless others is what motivates our minds to action, to be careful and loving with our words, to do what is good, to seek and pursue peace. And as we do these things, as we fulfill God's calling on our lives, we are blessed both now and into eternity. We are not our own. We belong to God. And he is watchful over us, his people. He is with us. But he's against those who practice evil or those who think that God either isn't there or doesn't care. Take heart at those truths. Hold them close. You might be thinking about all the roadblocks to sharing faith right now and blessing others. How am I supposed to fulfill my calling to bless in a world that doesn't want to be blessed by me? How do I fulfill my calling when I can't even be around others? It is easy to come up with compelling and realistic and practical reasons, maybe, for doing what these verses, for not doing what these verses call us to do. Which is why these next few verses are so critical for us to understand. Look at verses 13 through 17. Peter says, Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For, he says, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And this leads us to the second main point. Bless even when you suffer for it. Bless even when you suffer for it. Look again at verse 13. Who then will harm you if you're devoted to what is good? This translation, in my opinion, falls a little flat. Now, the ESV reads a little differently. It says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? In my opinion, there's a difference between devotion and zealousness. The Greek word used here is zelotes. It is zealot, if most literally transliterated. And it's an incredibly potent and energy and emotion-packed word. Peter is telling us that we are to be enthusiastically devoted, that our hearts should burn and boil with emotion and passion in order to do what is good and right, no matter what the cost may be. That is what Peter means when he says, be zealous, be devoted for what is good. God is zealous for us. Jesus is zealous for us. 
And we are to be zealous for one another as we seek each other's good. If we are zealous for those things, if we are zealous for good, Peter says, there's no one to harm us. But how can that be true? We all know stories, or even may know people, that have suffered for their faith, maybe even killed for it. So what is Peter talking about here? Look at the next verse, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Even if you suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. This verse, this truth, is at the very center of Peter's thinking. It percolates into every word of his letters. Peter knows that any suffering, any harm, any difficulty that we may endure while we zealously do good is insignificant in comparison to the blessing that we receive. Peter knows that it's hard. He's well aware of the cost. But he also knows that the blessing prepared for us is so great and amazing and eternal that in contrast to the temporary sufferings, they look like nothing, even if they be almost a year long for some of us now. Jesus said similar words, which I think Peter is thinking of. Jesus said, Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who went before you. Even if we believe these words from Peter, even if we believe these words from Jesus are true, we know that it is hard to live by. The Beatitudes are challenging. It is easy to compromise, which is why it's so profound that it's Peter delivering this message to us. Not long before Jesus was arrested and taken away to be tried and crucified, it was Peter who said to Jesus, even though all will fall away, I will not. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. But what happened? Was Peter good on his promise? Before the rooster crowed, Peter had denied his Lord and Messiah and King three times. Upon realizing what he had done, he flees the scene, broken to the core. Peter messed up. He had not yet comprehended that the kingdom coming wasn't quite what he had expected. He was looking for an earthly realm and an earthly king to fix the problems of his time. But he never forgot this failure which is why he pleads so earnestly with us to not be afraid, to do good. He says at the end of verse 14, do not be afraid, do not fear them or be intimidated. Or to put it another way, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. The idea is that we should not be stirred up or troubled or shaken by the words or actions of others who stand against us. Fear is a very powerful motivator. It is a dangerous, dangerous tool. Maybe it's more often used as a weapon. It can cause us to do really foolish things. Or it can cause us to paralyze us into inaction and do nothing. 
We cannot let fear, especially in the form of threats or words of intimidation, motivate our actions. We cannot let the fear, specifically in this passage, of suffering for what is good, for our calling, to distract us from that calling. As imitators of Jesus Christ, we are to conduct ourselves not in fear, but instead, as Peter says in verse 15, instead of living out of fear, in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. You see, the hope in us are the promises offered to us in the gospel. These are our defense. The forgiveness of sin, salvation of new and eternal life, that is our hope. Those are the things we need to be ready to share with people. The strength in the face of fear is trusting that Christ is Lord. We are not our own, remember. And we conquer fear not through our own strength or ambition, but out of trusting that Christ is Lord and that he really is holy. He is set apart. He is beyond us. And he has a plan that is good for us. And even if suffering comes our way, that is true. We see that we can trust, verse 17, based on God's character. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, one other thing this verse tells us is that we better make sure we're suffering for the right things. We better be sure that we're not suffering because we've done something wrong or we've sinned or we're doing something out of bitterness. On the contrary, there's no blessing for those types of things. There's no hope in evil. Rather, if we suffer, it must be because we are trying to live as God has called us to live in the example of Jesus Christ. In the words of Karen Jobes from her commentary on 1 Peter, she says this about living in the example of Christ. One cannot step into the footsteps of Jesus and head off in any other direction than the direction he himself took. And his footsteps lead to the cross through the grave, and onward to glory. The path to glory, the path to eternity, is through cruciform, Christ imitating suffering. There is no other path. Remember that it was Jesus who said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, for my sake, will save it. This is a paradoxical and difficult truth at times, especially if we try in our own strength or out of our own selfish ambitions to just do good. We will, we will fail. We'll deny our Lord. Like Peter, we might turn and run when things get hard. But, we know something that Peter didn't know when he ran, when he denied. 
There's a hope for us. Even though we may be weak, even though we may be afraid, even if we feel paralyzed and stuck because of the circumstances around us, there is hope. There is an extraordinary and powerful motivator that frees us to bless as God has called us to do. And that motivation is this. There is a blessing for us. That's our third point. Bless because the reward is worth it. Bless because the reward is worth it. Look again at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. There is a blessing ready for us. When we love, when we show hospitality, when we use our God-given gifts to serve one another, we should be doing these things out of thankfulness and love for our Savior. And because, as Peter points out here, we will receive a blessing. And that blessing is what we as believers start receiving from the moment of salvation and on into eternity. We better get that blessing figured out if that's to motivate us. Earlier I spoke about how secularism has distorted our understanding of the body and the need for our faith to be lived out in action. Secularism has also distorted our understanding of eternity. Movies and pop Christianity portray eternity as some sort of blissful mental state of being where you kind of float around up in the clouds with the choir singing in the background, right? Kind of like the kids' movies. That's Why would I want to live in some sort of disembodied bliss with clouds and floaty stuff? I mean, that sounds really lame. That'd get boring fast. But also remember this. When you tell unbelievers about trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins so that they can be with God in heaven, they're probably thinking about going to the fluffy, cloudy place. Be ready to give an answer for your hope, Peter says. And this is our hope. The prophets and Jesus and Peter and all the scripture describe our final destination for us, our final hope. Our final destination is that our bodies will physically and tangibly, they will really rise from the dead and join Jesus as he comes back to a physical kingdom which lasts forever. Verse 18, For Christ also suffered for sin once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. You see, in this way, we also imitate Christ. We may suffer as he did while doing good or doing God's will, trying to fo follow his calling on our lives, which he's clearly given to us in his words. And unless he comes back soon, we will die like him too. We will suffer like him and we will likely die with him. But then, and this is the fruit of our hope and our good work, we will also rise like Christ and be given new bodies, free from defect, free from sickness, free from sin, free from anxiety, free from fear, free from depression, and so much more. We will fully and finally experience the new life that began in us when we first believed in Jesus as our Savior and Messiah and King. Those deep longings for a home that feels like home, 
for a purpose worth living for, for love, for meaning, these feelings, these tensions we have inside of us, which point to our need for something more. These will be put in their right and perfect place when we enter into our true eternal home. And with those new and perfect bodies on a recreated earth called the kingdom of God, we will finally work and live in just the way it was meant to be from the beginning, in the presence of God. To be part of that kingdom is the inheritance. This is the blessing that Peter is talking about. It is this vision, this taste of the kingdom of God, which inspires us to serve him, to bless, even if it should bring suffering, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. We can live trusting that in that kingdom, we will receive a reward for our suffering in this present day. We need to encourage one another with these eternal and powerful truths about the kingdom of God. Please bow your heads with me. Close your eyes and pray with me. Worship team, please come up. Pray and listen as I read to you about that kingdom which I'm describing for you from the book of Revelation. Picture in your minds this place. Imagine the sounds, the tastes, and smells. Consider the wonder and the beauty of it all. Ponder what it will be like to be in the fellowship of the saints, to love and work and worship together with our new fixed bodies. Consider what it will be like to see God as he really is, to walk with our Savior and King, to worship him in the fullness of his presence. Listen as I read from the book of Revelation to you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. I saw no temple in the city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon 
for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all of their glory. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Then Jesus said, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed, blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Blessed are you when you suffer for good. My fellow saints and citizens of this kingdom, lift up your heads and open your eyes. This is the only kingdom worth fighting for. Or better yet, this is the only kingdom worth blessing others for, especially when it causes us to suffer. Let visions of eternity give you the strength by the power and work of the Holy Spirit in you to fulfill your calling to bless with zeal and excitement and commitment at whatever the cost may be. We are not our own. We belong to God. Remember, blessing others is worth the cost because God has promised to bless you eternally. Amen. Please stand and worship this King.